Welcome to our online services at Scotts Hill. We're so glad that you're able to join us. And today is a very special time as we celebrate a very special day. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at a series that we've entitled God's Gift in a Crisis. And we have been focusing on one key verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at each of those gifts that we receive from the Holy Spirit, that as He indwells us, lives within us, He gives us these specific gifts to help us to walk through difficult times. Three, two, three weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God has given us the gift of courage, and we can walk with the absolute assurance that God is with us. Two weeks ago, we looked at God has given us the gift of power, that we can walk in the character and the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week, we saw that in a crisis, we are to walk in love. But today, we're going to break away from that for just a moment, and we're going to celebrate another gift that God has given us. And it's a gift of people, specifically a certain kind of person. And we are going to celebrate today the gift of moms, of grandparents, and uh, men, all of our wives together. So I guess you could say this is the Mother's Day edition of God's gift in a crisis. And, and today we have assembled a group of ladies who represent all the various stages of motherhood in our church. And so this is somewhat of a microcosm that we are meeting together with as they represent all the various uh, positions and struggles and joys that are being felt in motherhood. And so since this is Mother's Day, all of you who are children at home with your moms, I want you to turn to them right now. Right now, take just a couple of moments. Say, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. You got it? Okay, now I want you to say this. I want you to repeat after me and say this to your mom. I want you to say, today, your wish is my command. <laughs> well, congratulations. I've just invited you to wash the toilets today. <laughs> and you might say, ooh, well, that's what your mom says every time she cleans your toilet. <laughs> now, for you men, you're in the room with your wives, and these wives are the mothers of your children. I want you to turn to them and to say, Honey, today I honor you by fulfilling your greatest desires. Well, congratulations. I've just given you a list of endless do-it-yourself projects for the rest of the year. But as we honor our wives today, as we honor our moms, as we honor our grandmothers, we want to do this in a little bit differently. Instead of me preaching a message and expounding the truth of God's word, what we're going to do is listen to a group of ladies who are on that journey of motherhood today. And we want to be able to hear what God is doing in their lives. We want to be able to hear the testimony of God's word working itself out as they invest in their children and generations to come. And so as we prepare for this, as I said, we have a microcosm of moms in this room. And I want to introduce you to the moms who are with us as we continue to celebrate Mother's Day today. For example, we have two moms on this couch. These represent our somewhat newest moms. We have Miranda Kelly. We have Jessica Hansen. Each of them each has one child, is a toddler, and they're both expecting a new one on the way. 
So you have had your first rodeo and about to enter your second rodeo, which is soon to come. Then we have Elizabeth Holland, who has a five and a half year old daughter and a new son. And so she's a semi-pro at this, and she's been pouring into motherhood for five and a half years, and now she's getting ready to practice it again in a different way on a different child. We also have Stephanie Kruger here with us today. She represents many times the often most overlooked group in the life of churches. Because churches have the tendency of being very family-oriented, she is a young, single professional who has aspirations of one day being married and one day being a mother. And so we will get a perspective from her as we listen to her life as she deals with mothers, single mothers, all around her. Then we have on this couch over here two ladies who represent those who have teenagers and those who actually have left the house. Teresa Dunn, Bridget LaVisca, each of you has a child that has left, one has married, one is in the military, and you also have some still at home who are transitioning you into that wonderful stage called the empty nest. <laughs> and so you have had a lot of experience raising those teenagers up to this point. And then finally, my wife, Chris, represents that mother that has gone through all the stages of motherhood, who has gone to that joy of releasing our children to their wonderful spouses and living in an empty nest and now enjoying the joys of being a grandmother. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to have the opportunity to ask you a number of questions to get your perspective so we can hear your journey. Our hope is that you will encourage the ladies in the life of our church and that you will inspire husbands and children to be able to rise up today and give God glory for the wonderful gifts of moms, grandmothers, and wives. So before I begin asking you questions, a group of children at a particular school were asked questions by the teachers about their mothers. And they asked them numerous questions, but I want to give you five questions they asked, and I want to give you the responses of children towards their moms. Here's the first question. Why did God make mothers? The answer, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. <laughs> you never send a man to find an item because he cannot locate it. The second question is, what ingredients are mothers made of? Answer, God makes mothers out of clouds of angel hair and everything nice and one dab of mean. <laughs> the third question, what's the difference between moms and dads? The answer, dads are taller and stronger, but moms have the real power because that's who you got to ask if you want to sleep over at a friend's house. <laughs> Number four, you're going to love this one. What does your mom do in her spare time? Answer, moms don't do spare time. <laughs> and then finally, what would it take to make your mom perfect? Answer, on the inside, she is already perfect. Outside, I think some kind of plastic surgery is needed. <laughs> Those are honest answers. And the first Mother's Day actually occurred in America on May 10th, 1908. That was 112 years ago, this Mother's Day. But it's certainly not the first time that mothers have been honored. When we look through the pages of Scripture, we find all the way from the very beginning of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 20, where Adam names Eve and calls her the mother of all living. 
We find it through the pages of Scripture in the Ten Commandments that we're called to honor our moms. We find it through the Levitical passages. We find it through the wisdom writings. The Lord Jesus himself modeled perfectly how to honor a mom as he honored his own mom even at the cross. And we see the Apostle Paul has written numerous pieces about honoring women and moms and grandmothers. So today, as I said, you will take us on a journey. And we want to ask you some questions and get the perspective that men will never be able to get and children will not be able to have this side of motherhood. And so as I ask these questions, we want to hear your heart. Are you ready? Yeah. Question number one. What has brought you the greatest joy of being a mother? I think for me, um, just having just a little guy who's a year and a half, but ex extremely wild, and extremely crazy, and extremely aggressive um, in a lot of ways. He loves to wrestle um, all the time. So whenever I see him be super sweet to another kid or even to us, um, that just... Mm. You know, seeing the positive side of him and just that sweet nature in him kind of brings me a lot of joy. Mm. He's not just a crazy child. <laughs> <laughs> I would say for me, um, it's the sum of all the little things uh, when they're little. The joy of seeing them take their first step, say their first word, learn to ride a bicycle. As they get older, just uh, watching them develop their gifts and talents that God has given them or for us, we loved watching our kids play sports and things like that. And as they got older, just the joy of watching them develop relationships and meet their spouse and plan a wedding. I mean, it's just a sum of all those things. But uh, without a doubt, I think my heart really um, connects with John when he says in 3 John 4, 1, that um, there's no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So the greatest joy for me by far was being able to plant seeds of the gospel in the life of my children, uh, see them move from those seeds to move from a borrowed faith that we had taught them to a personal faith that is lived out individually in their lives. What is your greatest challenge in motherhood? I would say just having a two-year-old and going through potty training, um, especially during Corona, um, potty training and just like dealing, like just figuring out how do I discipline, like what, there's so many different ideas and methods out there and just wanting to make sure you're making the right decision for your child. And so just when you get to the point of like, I don't really know what to do, but you, we figure it out and we trust in the Lord. Mm -hmm. So. Which of the famous mothers of the Bible do you feel that you most relate to at this time in your parenting? So this isn't exactly where I'm at right now, but I um, related myself to Sarah because <clears throat> I think she, it, she was titled as a mother of waiting. And so, oh, um, and so we've been through the season of waiting um, with both of our children. And I feel like because James is so new, it hasn't been that long since we've been out of the season of waiting. And so I just feel like I relate with her because, I mean, she waited much longer than I did. Um, but uh, to be told that 
you're going to struggle with having children, and then you probably won't have another child and going through the season of waiting. It's tough, um, but you have to just trust in the Lord's promise and his um, faithfulness, and that's what we did. And um, here we are with a, our second child who's two months old. So we're not in the season of waiting, but we've just recently come out of it. And, um, and so we just praise God for that. And so I guess I would relate myself to Sarah. Um, I really love just the heart of Hannah for her son um, and just the way that she was just so ready. I mean, she prayed over him and just the way that she was so ready to dedicate Samuel to the Lord and um, that that she knew that that was his purpose was to just be completely dedicated to, to the Lord and that um, God was going to do really great things through him. And so um, I think we're, that's probably a lifelong motherhood thing of just always praying that your children um, would be used by the Lord. But I think it's just something that I think of really often of just um, praying that God would take Ava and that he, that he would use her for really amazing things um, for his kingdom. So. What is God teaching you about yourself in your current stage of motherhood? Um, a couple things that um, have already been mentioned but definitely are true is one, to just release my selfish desires, all the things that I thought, you know, my kids should be doing or would be doing or, you know, right now um, is no longer um, my choice. And, um, and to be able to release that selfish desire so that I can enjoy what their choices are and trusting God in those choices. And obviously personal control over what those choices are. Um, but into, in addition to that, God is teaching me that I really like my husband. Like, <laughs> I'm really glad I like him because um, they're leaving and he's who I have left. So I'm really thankful um, for my husband and just the fact that I'm excited about this new, new relationship that we're going to have going back 20 years um, to start that, that, um, that up again. So super excited. Yeah, I think going off of that, um, one thing that God's been teaching me is just my need to surrender um, daily on a moment-by-moment basis, um, releasing that control. Um, when I was pregnant with Ava, one of the things that like always stuck with me, the advice that I was given for going into labor and childbirth was to keep your hands open. And um, physically, it was really important for labor, but it was just such a beautiful thing to me that she would tell me, keep your hands open, because I think that's the posture that we should always have with God of no, of just complete surrender, um, that coming humbly before him, knowing like I'm not in control, God, and I'm going to release my, um, my desires, my control, my um, intentions for my children. I'm going to release that and just know that you're in control and that you're going to take my child and you're going to um, have your way with them and just releasing your will. And in the same way, with your hands open, just knowing like that God will supply the strength that you need to do it every day. And he'll supply you with the love that you need for your children and with the wisdom that you need, because I don't know anything. Like, that's what I realized. It's like, I'm so inadequate on my own, but God is so willing to give us what we need to be mothers. So what is God teaching you about himself during this time of motherhood? God has taught me about 
himself and what I've learned through being a mother is so many times if there's a situation going on in our family and it's a problem, as a mom, you want to fix it. You know, you want to do it. And over the years, I have learned that I don't necessarily always have the means or the words or the actions to fix it or fix it immediately. And I've learned that um, Christ is always there. Um, He's not going to leave me and his strength stays the same. So when I'm weak, his strength is still the same. And so I might not can fix the problem and maybe he's not going to fix it immediately. But I've learned to trust him enough to know that his strength never wavers and that he's going to stick it out and my children belong to him and that, you know, in the end, God's going to work through a plan that he has for their life. So as a mom, I've learned that even though my strength might waver up and down, his is consistent. Has God given you a specific scripture or scriptures to cling to during your motherhood? And how has that encouraged you? Proverbs fourteen six says, um, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. And I can't remember at what point in my parenting that I came across this verse, but I just, to me, it was just a a treasure and a foundational thing that I just kept coming back and back to because um, God's Word says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and God's Word talks a lot about the fear of God versus the fear of man. And I think in parenting, we've all talked about the comparison trap. And I think the fear of man is just being more concerned about what other people think of me and my parenting than what God thinks. And so as I focus on giving honor and reverence to God, as I see His attributes displayed in the Scripture, and then being concerned about that I'm accountable to this God for my parenting, um, and then seeing the end of that scripture, how that works itself out in being a strong sense of security for my kids, being um, offering a haven and a protection and a refuge for them. And so I have gone back to that frequently. And that was kind of more of an ethereal thing, but in a practical sense, I think a scripture that I've used a lot is Galatians 6, 9, in that let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Mm-hmm. Because parenting is hard, and parenting is wearying, but parenting is a good work. Mm-hmm. And I've just kind of learned that at the point when I get to where I want to just give up or throw in the towel or not persevere in whatever stage of life my child is in that God says, if you don't give up, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing with your children. And that's been very encouraging to me. Well, parenting is hard work. There are great uh, success stories in that. But there are also some times that you feel like you fail as a mom. When that comes along, how do you respond to that? I'll be the first to confess, I have disciplined in anger way too many times. That is the hardest thing for me and probably the thing I regret the most looking back over my um, parenting years. Um, But at the same time, God gave me the wisdom, praise the Lord, to go and to humbly ask forgiveness and then to reconcile. And those kids are so quick to be like, it's okay, mommy, I love you. Like they're so quick to forgive. So it's teaching them how to ask for forgiveness. Um, It's giving them a chance to be on the forgiving side when so often, how many times we tell our kids, now you need to go say you're sorry. 
So for once, they get to be the one that's quick to, to, to be able to receive, um, to receive that. Um, and I'm just really thankful that, that children are so quick to forgive their mamas and their daddies. It's such a blessing. Looking back, because my kids are older, I think one of the things that I feel like I was a failure was doing everything myself. You know, whether it comes to things around the house, things for dinner, things in the yard. And I think, you know, I did it all myself because it was easier. I could get it done quicker. But then that was a disservice to my children because then when they started getting older, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, they can't cut the grass. Or I've got to teach them how to turn the, the, the washing machine on because I've never let them do it because I've always done it because it was just faster. And I would be done my way. And so um, I, I've waited too long. And so I would start as a teenager. Try, and that was the worst time to start trying to get your kids to learn stuff and do mm -hmm. chores. And I'm thinking, well, I should have started this a long time ago. So I, I think that may be one of my biggest failures of not letting them at a younger age take more part of the household and help me out some. I think for me, it's um, being fully present all the time with, with my son. It's so easy to like put on a show if he's frustrating me and just say, all right, just go watch a show now that he's finally willing to watch TV and I think just not spending every moment that he's awake or those times when he's asking for my attention like when I'm making dinner or when I'm cleaning something that that doesn't need to be cleaned right now I can spend that time intentionally with him because these these times are not going to be forever and he's he's not going to want to spend time with me forever. Ladies, here's a fun question for you. How can your husband best help you and encourage you as you invest in your family? Yeah, I think as the girls got older, you know, sometimes you hit those teenage years and surprisingly they get a little mouthy. And I can remember Jim, like, you do not speak to your mother like that. And so just, you know, having your spouse there as the backup, you know, when you're the one dealing with them most of the time when he would be at work. Um, and the other thing is just, like you said, letting the kids know that, you know, I'm still his favorite. And so I think it's a lot of, you know, we enjoy each other and um, the kids are always like, you guys are so gross, you're too old for that. And I think it's, <laughs> it's fun, it's a good thing for, um, he is a great example to our girls of what a Christian husband and father should be like. You know, I hope that that's what they have in their lives. And um, I just think that's a great, he's just been a great role model. Well, Phil is very much has a gift of encouragement in word and in deed. Mm -hmm. So I cannot imagine him being any more encouraging than what he is. I can tend to be hard on myself, but he's constantly encouraging. So I really can't think of anything more that he could do. You read it just like I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> When your children are gone and they're on their own, what is your greatest desire for them? I think just that um, they would be disciples of Christ, that they would be a light in this world and um, love others well. As we are just launching them, you know, one is just left a few months ago and the other is leaving in a few months. And with it being so fresh, 
um, my number one concern is that they would seek the Lord in their decisions. Like we've all been around the table for the past 18 to 20 years with decisions that any of the four of us would be making. And now with them like on their own, you know, we don't, we don't get to do that anymore like we used to. And I'm just praying that without us there, that they would seek the Lord and know where to go to make those decisions. Um, the big decisions that we used to talk through, um, that they would talk through them with the Lord. I have a question for Stephanie. Stephanie as the young single professional among us. Uh, Stephanie, what are you learning about motherhood as you sit and as you live in the presence of so many godly mothers around you? Um, so I think as a young single professional, as I think about motherhood and what that might be one day, my biggest fear is like how many of my passions and my dreams and my goals and desires that like that I have to give up to achieve that or to, to be a mother. And it's been um, really awesome to see some of the moms that are in my life, how they're still pursuing like these dreams, but they're still like pouring so much into their kids as well that motherhood doesn't completely discount who you are as a person and the things that God has given you and the character that God has given you. Um, and so like, I know like the Hansons really impressed me right off the bat when I like, when they had Landon started having their family and seeing that dynamic because they held him with such like an open hand and you guys still do like such a good job of that. Like the second he came out of the womb, they were just like, yep, we're still our own people and God's got him and we're going to love him, but also like God's going to bless him and do what he's going to do with him. And so um, even learning to have that same kind of mentality with other things in my life of like, I can't hold on so tightly to that and God's got it and he's going to keep on having it. Um, that's been really encouraging to kind of learn and see from other moms. Mm -hmm. As a young professional um, and as a single young professional, we have a number of single ladies in the life of our church, whether they are young, whether they're older, even some single moms. The Apostle Paul speaks quite a bit about being a spiritual mother. He himself sees himself as a spiritual father of young Timothy. How can singles who are not married and do not have kids make that a reality in their life by becoming spiritual mothers to people around them? I see you working in our student ministry. You pour your life into so many young ladies. What would you say to them? How would you speak to them and encourage them in being role models in the lives of others? Yeah, um, I think a lot of the time it can feel like a major undertaking um, like, you know, I'm not a parent. How can I like hope to take someone younger under my wing and mentor them and encourage them towards the faith? Um, and I, from what I've heard from these women, um, in this circle, like you don't ever know what you're really doing when you're getting into <laughs> it, right? Like you just really do have to like trust the Lord and seek him in prayer, um, to empower you, to give him the wisdom, um, to say, to encourage these people that are underneath you. And I know it's been such a joy for me to have our female interns and to have all of our female students here that I get, I get to just love on them um, in the good times and in the times when they're sometimes kind of annoying, right? <laughs> like, um, and I get to um, lean into, you know, their lives and their passions and I get to speak wisdom and truth into their lives. And it really is such a joy but most of the time I still don't know what I'm doing, you know? Um, so it's cool to see how God uses me as, as a person that really doesn't know much um, about mentoring and, and loving on kids in a motherhood kind of capacity, but how he still just takes my obedience and, um, and uses that to see other people grow around me. And so it really is a joy. And so I think my, my call and encouragement to um, single people would be that you seek out those relationships um, and then you trust God with it and you just roll with it. Yeah. 
and a wonderful blessing about being um, a spiritual mother to those who are not biologically yours. It's a lot like being grandparents. You can love them for a while and then you just send them back. Send them back. That's what I say to all the parents That's that right. come into the ministry. I'm like, I love loving on your kids and I also love sending them home to you at the end of the week. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all for taking the time to be with us today and sharing your heart and your journey with us as you speak about motherhood and you have encouraged so many people today. Now I wanna encourage you with a final word and encourage those who are watching with just a word uh, from scriptures. Um, and I want to encourage you in, in the lives of two ladies, Lois and Eunice. Lois is the grandmother of Timothy and the mother of Eunice. Eunice is the daughter of Lois and the mother of Timothy. So Lois and Eunice together coupled and, and pulled their resources to help raise one of the finest young men in the Christian church that we know through the pages of Scripture, and that would be Timothy. And yet when you look at their lives, they did three specific things. Three times in Scripture in the New Testament, we find the mention of Lois and Eunice. And every time they're mentioned, it's always in connection with Timothy and their investment in his life. Also, every time we see them, there is no man in their life. We find them in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And all of these instances where they are mentioned, it's all about the investment in the life of Timothy. Let me give you three things that they did, and I think would be a great reminder for all of us and all moms of how we can impact and actually um, um, create a trajectory that's spiritually for our kids and even our grandkids. The first thing they did was this. They instilled in Timothy a respect for Scripture. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Lois and Eunice, one of the things that they did was pour into Timothy the Word of God. It says that you learned the sacred writings from your childhood. And as they began to pour into him from the earliest of age, that he was able to capture and to hang on to the truth of Scripture. They did it in three ways, through formal teaching. They would have taken him through the Pentateuch and would have taught him all the teachings and the writings from Moses. They would have taken him through all of the, the, the wisdom literature at a very young age. So there would have been formal education, he said, from the things you learned. There would have been personal illustration from the things that you're, you're convinced of, that they would have been able to show him through the world God's presence and his power. Probably Deuteronomy chapter 6 and teaching him as he lay down and wake up and go by the wayside. School was always in session. And the third thing was just practical demonstration from whom you have learned it. As he watched his grandmother and his mother model the truth of Scripture, the thing that they really invested in him was early on the knowledge of the Word of God. And as you continue to do that as mothers, no matter what stage you find yourself in, no matter what age your children are in, is always the opportunity to keep speaking the truth of the Word of God to them. But there was a second way that they demonstrated. Not only did they instill 
a respect for scripture, but they instilled in them a sincere faith. If you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, um, beginning in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Not only did they, they, they teach him scripture, but they modeled sincere faith. The word sincere means without hypocrisy. It was genuine. It was the real thing. And not only was it genuine, but it was transferable because they watched, Timothy watched his grandmother and his mother demonstrate sincere faith. They saw it in the home setting. I said earlier, there was never any um, presence of a man in their life. Timothy's dad was a Greek. His mom was Jewish. He would have been a mixed child in a relationship. And in that world... Um, there would have been a very difficult time for Timothy to mix in because they're living in a Greek world. But there's no account of his dad ever being present. Either he died or he abandoned the family. And from this point on, he is always with his, his mother and his grandmother. But even in that home, in that struggle, they demonstrated a sincere faith. They demonstrated sincere faith in their social setting. They're living in a pagan world. In, in Lystra, which was a Greek pagan place, and in the midst of this world that was corrupt, they constantly measured a steadfastness of conviction that Timothy was able to see and watch them live out. And then in their singleness, as these two single women in a man's world gave of themselves to prepare one of the greatest leaders in the early church with a sincere faith. One of the things is you keep modeling that sincerity of your, your love for Christ, your intimacy with Him, and you let your kids see you in an authentic lifestyle because the church will never replace what you teach at home. And the church can never do what a mother can do as she models the faith and her love for a Savior. And then we find in Acts chapter 16, they not only instilled those two things of Scripture and sincere faith, but they prepared him for service. Listen to what Paul says. In chapter 16, Paul also, he came to Derbe and to Lystra. And there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So what did they do? They prepared his heart for service. And they did that through just three simple ways. Number one, they loved him. They loved him consistently. They lifted him up before the Lord as they prayed for him. And then they let him go. They let him go to do the work of the Lord. And as we walk with this understanding of raising our children, instilling them with a respect for the truth of God's word, modeling a sincere faith, then we come to the place where we prepare them for service. And there's going to come a time where the Lord will use them in great and mighty ways. And so as I encourage you to continue on in your faithfulness as moms and your faithfulness as the probably the most significant impact in the lives of your kids, that God will use you as he prepares your kids' hearts for the kingdom work that is before them. And for those of you who are watching us online and at home, 
I want to say thank you for joining us today. And to all moms, let me just encourage you that you do these things, that you continue to trust the Lord and you continue to rest in Him as He is using you in a way that will impact not just your children, but generations to come. And men, I want to encourage you to rise up and to honor your wives this day. And by doing so, you give honor to God as you hold them in a place of, of, of encouragement and as they invest in your families. We pray that this has been a blessing to all of you. And I want to pray for all the moms today. I want to pray for those who are watching, those who are in this room, and asking that the Lord would continue to bless them and use them mightily for His kingdom's work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You for the moms that You have given to us. I thank You for my mom and the impact that she has made in my life. And I know that both my mom and my dad are in Your presence today. And Father, I thank You for the lessons that You used in their lives to teach me. And for each of these ladies here, those who are married and have kids from different ages to those in the life of our church who are single and who are looking to them and looking towards a day when they too will be able to experience this kind of joy. I ask, Father, for each one of these and the ladies in our church that you would bless them today, that you would encourage them this day, that you would empower them and strengthen them. And Father, that you would bring blessings upon blessings to their lives as one day their children will rise up and will call them blessed. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And because of our relationship with him, that Father, we know the significance of motherhood and the impact that it has in the life of your kingdom. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us as a father. May we model your heart in all things, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.